Leah, are you part of the mainstream of the academic community? Like like normal academics? Like, or are you able to entertain possibilities and alternate theories of history? Oh, well, I like the man in the high castle. There you go. That's it. <laughs> That's all you need. This is Weird Religion, a podcast for people who know religion is weird, but love it anyway. I'm your host, Brian Doak. I'm an author, professor, biblical scholar, and as my dad used to say, if I ever saw an alien or a spaceship, why would you tell someone? I would never tell anyone. I'm your host, Leah Payne. I'm a professor, historian, author, and I used to love the show Elf. There, I said it. (laughs) This time, we're discussing the wildly popular History Channel show, Ancient Aliens, all about the adventures of alien astronauts. What is the truth about aliens, about the origins of humanity itself. Why do we want it to be extraterrestrial? Join us. Join us. You got to say the word mainstream always with a derogatory. Oh, you think tone. so? Mainstream. Lamestream. Lamestream. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You know, here's another question. <laughs> yeah, just keep them coming. <laughs> Let's just keep it coming here. We've gone into the crazy zone. Sure. The History Channel, for example, has turned to a lot of, of clickbait in the mm-hmm. last couple of decades. Was it ever super respectable, by the way? Was the History Channel ever really respectable? Uh, Was there a not time? Not to my knowledge. Well, I mean, you know, actually some of the History Channel things, they they get real historians on there yeah, who are yeah. talking about real things. I have noticed that, I mean, and this is just, you know, how it goes when you have a television show or like a channel that's based on market pressures but Mm -hmm. I think people want to watch the more alternative stuff so you know I'm pretty sure it's the history channel but there's a show about the Salem witch trials that I've shown Mm. in class that is really good and it uses mainstream historians and you think it was maybe from something like the history channel if not the history channel I think it was and the thing about it is that there are certain stories that are so out there like the Salem witch trials Mm -hmm. that it just kind of lends itself to like those that's just like when is that not going to be interesting but you're not just going to have like on on you're saying like with with the network pressure, with the pressure that's out there, with the commercial pressure, you're not yeah. going to have a show. It's just like sober historians sitting around a table and probably shooting down theories that they think are not real. Like that's <laughs> right. Not, I mean, <laughs> that's exactly right. Like that's what academic conferences are for, and that's why they suck. Probably today they're we're boring. today we're talking about the long running hit documentary ish style series, <laughs> ancient aliens. <laughs> Yeah. 13 I, seasons and counting. It's like the law and order of alien shows. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they've never been referred to that way and would love it. I loved Law and Order. Sad when it was canceled. Why do people love this show, do you think? Well, I mean, okay, first off, I think it has to do with the host. The Oh, yes. Yeah. Giorgio Sukulos. Giorgio Sukulos. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things that, I mean, first off, his hair. The hair. He's got the kind of, it's like a mad scientist vibe going on. Totally. And then he seems, so from, I, I'm i not a huge fan of the show, but from watching him, he seems to to be truly interested 
in what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I mean, just aliens are interesting, right? Like X-Files. Why? What do you think? Maybe we should add to our list. We've, we've commonly said that we think that religion and sex are the only two inherently interesting topics. Yeah. Maybe aliens, aliens are the third. That's true. And a lot of stories about aliens involve both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when people are talking about encounters. Yep. Yeah. It's so, true. Maybe that. Maybe this needs to be a third, a part uh, to to fill out the trinity of inherently interesting <laughs> oh topics. Yeah, we're never gonna not want to talk about aliens. We're never gonna not want to. We're going back to the aliens here, yeah. partly because you know aliens are the quintessential sci-fi topic. Are they not? Yeah. Uh, well, robots. Robots. Robots aren't as interesting because we already have them in our regular life. And, you know, I mean, like, people do these kinds of, what about the Cylons or what's Mm. the Terminator? um, Even there. Skynet. Yes, but but that that even, that bridges alien kind of stuff too, though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Do you think that robots are are going to become a mainstream thing where everyone will have their robot for this and that? I don't know. There's a lot of good shows about that, but I, I heard this theory actually. And it was related to Apple computers, I think. It was a an article that I read that people have, there's like a certain threshold mm-hmm. that they have when it comes to accepting like technology into their lives. Right. And the threshold is this, mm. that they are willing to accept a lot of things. But if a piece of technology looks too human, people mm-hmm. have this gut response. They're repelled by it. Wow. So, yeah. So, they were like researchers were doing work on, you know, whether or not someone would want to work with a laptop that was shaped like a human head or something like that. And people (laughs) were just like, no, I'm not going to do it. So I don't know. But then on the other hand, I saw this documentary about like life-size dolls um, in another country Mm -hmm. and how they're like really very much a part of the culture and these automated dolls and people are into it. Is this Japan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, Japan has had a great robot culture for a long time. Yeah, so you know, they're that, robot pioneers. That makes me think maybe that's here's what you I know. here's what I think is, is the answer to all of this is if, yeah. if and this this will happen. I've been saying this for a long time, people, and now I'm going to say it again on the podcast because I want this to be out there. Sure, and I want to be credited with calling this mm-hmm. along with many other people who have called it. The next thing is obviously to integrate technology with our bodies. In, yeah. Not just have your phone in your hand. You want to have it in your heart, in your soul, in right. your mind. Right. So that you have the power of the internet and the total connectivity of all that coursing through your blood. That's the next internet. I'm not saying that would be a good thing or that I want that. Ew, I'm saying, scary. right. And so the idea is not that you have like Google glasses, but you want to be able to see and experience the world and not like VR, like virtual reality. You want yeah. it to be reality, reality, but you're experiencing an enhanced reality as a kind of like part machine, part human, superhuman character. Yes. And then you can see all the great sci-fi themes with like, um, you know, uh, the issue of like a class, a class division between people who can afford this kind of thing and people yeah. who cannot, yeah. and so on, and then leading all the way up to this idea in in the great in the minds of the true utopian technology prophets that somehow we'll be able to access some serious truth or some kind of capacity, some kind of singularity where everything will be known, everything will be illuminated at the same time. Okay. It is crazy that you came to that conclusion. I mean, not crazy, but I just <laughs> Are you my calling mind. Me crazy? No, no, it's fine. Nope, nope. We, we don't use the word crazy. Alternative. At this, we don't use the word crazy at this table. <laughs> no way. I mean, I am just like, how did he get there? But I, I think that that is actually a valid consideration. 
And Is it, it makes me think of some, like in the American Academy of Religion, there's mm-hmm. there's this robust group of scholars who are talking about transhumanism. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was a joke before. I mean, I, like, I when I first heard of it, I was like, ha, ha, ha. Because to be fair, it was a paper that had the title of like, are human, could a toaster become a human or something right, like that? Right. And, I, you know, it was deliberately provocative. But mm-hmm. um, I think that, that that seems to be clearly the next, um, you know, threshold for academic conversations about what it means to be human. Right. So, I mean, we're definitely heading those directions. Right. I don't think I'm ready for it. I'm just so behind. Like the alien conversation to me lives in a world, not where I connect it to technology so much, but it's in this sort of supernatural being world, like right. fairy tale fantasy yes. world. And I love that world. It's more comforting. Maybe it's more comforting to talk about aliens than robots because sure. the alien, it's very old time. You can go sure. back into like, you know, Orson Welles and sure. stuff like that. But the robot thing is like a little too real. Yeah, maybe, maybe we, that's why. And it's a little scary. Yeah, and we can engage the alien thing because it's not a real threat. It's right. probably not going to happen. Um, so we said, you although, heard it here. Okay, so here's the premise of ancient aliens. It is ancient astronaut theory. And I'm going to the Wikipedia page right now on ancient astronauts. Yes. Just to be sure, just to view some of the artwork. I mean, a lot of this has to do with the artwork, doesn't it? Like looking at ancient uh-huh. artwork, ancient Hindu artwork, ancient Mesopotamian artwork, and looking at items in this artwork and wondering whether or not these things are aliens or represent alien technology in the past. Yeah, there's an there's a website, ancientaliens.com, that I stumbled onto when we were doing um, an episode on the UFO festival. Nice. Um, and there's like... It's actually a really detailed analysis mm-hmm. of different ancient art forms. Mm-hmm. And the presumption is that these are depictions of extraterrestrial life, not like I mean, when I re- when I look at it, I think, well, it could also be somebody like me who's not very good at drawing. Right, like or, I, or it's like <laughs> do, that's not true. Like it's not representational art in the way that we think of it now. Exactly. Like if you wanted to draw someone who like a godlike figure who had brilliant ideas and you draw all kinds of like little spiky things coming out of their head, it's sure. like, oh, is that a space helmet? It's like, no, but that was like there it was like a way that you might even draw like just someone who's brilliant or larger yes. than life or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you know about UFO religions? Well, I know that there are some religious movements that incorporate extraterrestrial life into them. Because a lot of the Ancient Aliens episodes and things, we were mm-hmm. just watching a clip before we came on here, are really about looking at ancient religious movements and talking about how elements of those religions could have been spawned or birthed by or aided by alien figures. It's almost like a form of, it's almost like a kind of, of euhemerism. This is a bizarre term. Euhemerism. Okay, go Have you ever heard it. of euhemerism nope. before? Uh, um, euhemerism. You, how's it spelled? Uh, E-U. E-U. Uh, so euhemerism. I, I just want to make sure that I'm spelling the word correctly. Yeah, yeah. E-U-H-E-M-E-R-I-S-M. Euhemerism. Oh, okay. It's a, uh, it, there was this, there was this ancient Greek writer named Euhemerus, hence okay. the phrase Euhemerism, who thought that the gods were, it was like an interpretation of where the where Greek ideas of the gods came from already mm-hmm. in ancient Greece, namely the idea that the gods were actually just larger than life humans sure. that had existed. So like Zeus was like some great like king. And so, but then he became a god later. Yeah. So this ancient aliens thing kind of reminds me of Euhemerism in the sense that it's kind of like looking at ancient 
ancient alien stuff and or looking at ancient religions and ancient temples like there's they make this big deal in ancient aliens about this particular hindu temple that's carved into this rock face yes and, yes and it's like saying oh these things really are real they really had a, a serious origin in something truly super powerful right it's just that it wasn't gods or goddesses it was an alien Right. Instead of a human right. in the humorist uh, theory. So it, it gives a kind of like an explanation for religion in the sense, the ancient alien theory, because it sort of, it posits that there really were wild, wild and crazy beings out there in the past. It's just that they were aliens. Well, I, I actually kind of wonder about, so anytime someone is trying to make a, an historical argument for something, so it, they seem, it seems like there are two kind of overarching ways of looking at aliens. There's sort of a futuristic idea, like they just came here and they're giving us their future technology or they came here a long time ago mm-hmm. and it's it has some sort of explanatory power. And one of the questions that I have as a historian is like, why do we want to see an external force that mm. is n- not explicitly religious, although it could be incorporated? You know, because a lot of those theories include like, was it an alien who built the pyramids or like there's this alien god or and then films pick up on this right. as well but this idea like what what is it that's so romantic about you know this idea that other beings that are not human have been right. here i mean some people are like oh no 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 that's i i wonder if there's this idea that that's what makes humans special right oh like it like yeah like it 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 sort it, of a it, nephilim it, type of thing yeah. <laughs> What about the, what do you make of this in terms of religious language, the currency that a show like Ancient Aliens gets on making statements constantly? This is one of their constant narrative refrains. Yes. They'll say, mainstream scientists say, blah, blah, blah. But, and then this is the phrase, is it possible that, like that yeah, phrase, yeah, 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 is yeah, it yeah, yeah. possible? Um, I, you know, it like, is that... Is that or, or or here's another one like this is on a meme that I'm I'm finding an ancient aliens meme. It's like got one of the characters' faces and it just says, "Why would like dot, the phrase, dot, Why dot. would this?" And so it's like it, it's sort of like very. It seems I think to probably a lot of thinking people like cheaply exploiting the fact that we don't know everything, or we right. don't know how some things came to be. So right. therefore. I don't know what, what do you make of that as religious language? It's just like open up the possibilities. Like who knows? Like well. I- I don't know about you, but when I hear those, it's a brilliant rhetorical move because if you say like, but what about, or are you open to the possibilities? You're not really making an assertion that requires proof. Right. So you can say pretty much anything you right. want. And you see politicians doing that all the time where they're like, but what about this? And it's like, wait a sec, how was how were those two <laughs> things related? You know? Right. So I think on the one hand, and it probably protects you from a lawsuit, but um, I like, it's, it is sort of a... Um, you know, we've talked about this many times, this thing that people seem to really want to do, which is open themselves up to extraordinary possibilities. Right. It just, it enchants the world, I think. You know, it's like, you think your life is going this way, right. and you live this kind of boring existence, and, or at least I live a pretty boring life, you know, by most standards. No one's going to be doing the biopic of me taking out the garbage or whatever. <laughs> but um, But what if it was something amazing you know or what if they, what if you had an alien living next door exactly. or something like that yeah I'm like to- elf to- we haven't talked elf. about elf oh, i can't believe elf. we gotten this far what not a talking show about elf. i almost i almost feel like it was another lifetime in which i lived as a I child know. and I know. watched elf I know. 
listener, if you've never watched an episode of do Elf, yourself a favor. I mean, it's just it's it's we it's it was a weird show. It probably still holds up. <laughs> I, I was I had that moment of panic where I wasn't sure if you were serious. And I'm so glad you laughed. JK. I I you know Elf. I'm boring and old enough too though now where. I feel like I'm the kind of person, like I need extraordinary possibilities, maybe not alien belief, but like the thought that your life could be different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The thought that you could see something that you've never seen before. Oh, right. The thought that something could come and could, you know, some being could tell you something about yourself. I also think, and I think for Christians, you know, I'll speak from my own experience. Like, I think there's a haunting kind of parallel here, you know, which I would be dishonest not to mention, namely the fact that a lot of Christian apology trades on the same kind of language. Like, mm-hmm. isn't it possible? Or, you know, I guess this has been critiqued by people, you know, as being like a God of the gaps idea. Mm-hmm. The God of the gaps critique is like that, you know, that, that in the face of science, what faith does is constantly say, well, yes, yeah, science now explains this, but what about this? And you just keep leaping out your explanation one level ahead of what we know so that it's very elusive and that you could never quite get there. And I'm sort of leery of those type of those forms of argumentation in a lot of ways because I think it pits faith against science in a way that it's like, are those right. do those two things need to be against one another? But I think you know your comments made me think about um, G.K. Chesterton has this really beautiful little line in Orthodoxy. I'm going to get it wrong, but he he talks about um, the idea that. If you want to like make the world exciting and magical for like a, I'm getting the ages wrong, but like a seven to 10 year old, you tell them that when someone knocks on the door, there's a dragon on the other side of the door, like something like this mythical creature. Oh, yeah, I see. But if you want to enchant the world for a two year old, you just say, open the door Mm -hmm. because the world is enchanted. Uh And I will say that parenting a three year old is like that. There's like wonder. And just beauty in, like, my son loves to go to coffee shops and just talk to the barista. You know, like, that to him is this huge adventure. Totally. And so, I wonder if some of the alien language is the adult way of being, like, what, how, like, we need this kind of extraordinary story to enchant the world Mm -hmm. because we don't, we sort of lose that capacity as we mature. Mm -hmm. Now, some people get so serious about the alien thing, though, that the alien thing just becomes its own religion or at least plays a large role in a religious movement. Mm-hmm. Take, for example, the the famous or infamous Heaven's Gate group. I guess this is around the time that we graduated from high school. Yes. 1997, there was a mass suicide. Um, they were wearing very distinctive outfits. They had, like, these black clothing, and they That's had these right. Nike shoes that were all, like, in the, in, the, in the haunting photo of the suicide. I'm sure that was a brand nightmare for Nike. Branding nightmare. Yeah, I bet that that wasn't, that wasn't the thing that they, <laughs> they wanted. They had some emergency meetings. They thought they could have been like, well, can you please not all wear Nikes? Yeah, yeah. Um, in the same way. I mean, what, what do you know about this Heaven's Gate thing? Was that, do you remember that happening? I, I remember that. I totally remember yeah. that. And one of, weirdly, I took a, a class um, from, I, I think it was sociology. It was just like a 100-level undergrad class from a guy who was embedded as a member of the Heaven's Gate 
Do you mean embedded he, like he was a part of it or just like a reporter? He was a, reporter a kind of sociologist who, oh, who like tried, wow. or anthropologist? I don't remember. It was either sociology or anthropology. Kind of like he's an embedded journalist in a war zone. Yeah, but he yeah, was embedded like with secretly, the Heaven's Gate cult. He and a wow. partner. Yeah. The Heaven's and, Gate religious movement. Yeah. And so prior, obviously prior to their mass suicide. Yes. Um, But, it, and so I remember him lecturing and now I just feel like such a fool because I should have asked him more questions because this is like, who's not interested in this? Mm-hmm. But um, he talked about how um, one of the things about their life together was he he actually did think it was super mundane. Like they were this really ascetic cult, like mm-hmm. you or new religious movie. You couldn't um, <laughs> you couldn't uh, be alone. You couldn't, ha- but you couldn't like be physically intimate with someone. And so like you were never alone, but you were never like really close to anyone. And huh. they had this sort of um, androgynous ideal of humanity and anyway but what the thing that i remember was he would try to communicate with his partner and they would have to like go to the bathroom at the same time so that they could talk to each other but i should have asked more questions i i it's so high stakes uh what they did yeah and yeah very high stakes yes (laughs) that's crosses into horror you commit suicide Hoping that your soul would 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 meet up with a spaceship traveling um, mm-hmm. behind the the Hale Bob comet. Yeah, you're in trouble. Y- you better be right about that. Yeah, that's th- that's faith right there. Like that's <laughs> misplaced. You, you are, I think we would all agree. You are putting it out there in the world. Um, what about what about the Raelians? Do you know anything about the Raelians? No. I think I've, I've, I'm reading right now about the Raelians. Okay. The Raelians are described as the largest UFO religion in the world. Really? Raelians believe, I'm reading from the Wikipedia entry on yeah. Raelism. Raelians okay. believe that scientifically advanced extraterrestrials known as the Elohim, by the way, that's the Hebrew word for God or gods, mm-hmm. created life on earth through genetic engineering and that a combination of human cloning and mind transfer can ultimately provide eternal life. Past religious leaders like Jesus, Buddha, and Muhammad are said to have been sent by these scientifically advanced extraterrestrials to teach humanity. The Elohim are said to be planning a future visit to complete the revelation and education of humanity. Care to comment? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, okay. Raelian priest Thomas said on this topic, the difference between Raelians and Heaven's Gate and Jim Jones, etc., is that the others destructively believed in a God who would give them a better life after death, just like most believers in a monotheistic religion do today, and hence the risk for suicide chasing afterlife rewards. As Raelians, we want the best right now in our life. Who would want to die... Um, who would want to die now in that scenario with all those pleasures to enjoy? Raelians believe in enjoying life now with happiness and laughter, unquote. Okay. I don't know if I can comment on the enjoying happiness now. I, I'm not exactly sure how that logic works, but maybe I'd have to just read it again. But um, I actually, what is interesting to me is this idea that the thing tying all these notable religious leaders together mm-hmm. is alien life. Alien I life. I mean, so— so the kind of traditional, like, kind of civil religious perspective on certain religious leaders is often saying something like, they all have an ethic in common, right? Like, right. or they all have, like, one greatest commandment, or it's usually some sort of kind of Christian lens trying to make other movements mm-hmm intelligible to Christians and try and find something in common. Mm. But this is like a little, it's just like, no, it's aliens. 
Straight up. Yeah, they're alien. But what's the difference between that? I mean, we've talked about alien as a sort of theological category. Right. And I'm sort of wondering, like, what's the difference between alien and God in that? Like, are are these aliens not just gods? Or, yeah. or like, is that just our puny human perspective on them or something? Yeah, or that, or that uh, you know, basically we've been seeded by aliens. I mean, I, you know, I think in some ways there, you know, in, in the, in the Christian um, community, in the, in the Christian creation science community, for mm-hmm. example, um, creation scientists being those who distrust or maybe outright re- reject evolutionary theory and evolutionary science completely sure. in favor of the fact that the idea, the idea that the world is 6,000 years old and, you know, that kind of stuff. There's this kind of, um, you know, they'll often point to very complex things like the eyeball or this or that, or how could that, and it is truly, um, even though I'm suspicious of the creation science movement as a science movement, sure, I, I definitely, as a human being, have a lot of wonder, like looking at the complexity of the world and just thinking like, how could all of this come about by just pure chance? It seems like literally impossible. Sure. So that would be like, oh, there you go. Argument for God. Or I think what this Raelian thing is on to is like, oh, or it could be an argument just that we were seeded by a more advanced civilization. Wouldn't have to be a god in any mm-hmm, traditional mm-hmm. sense. And that could actually explain everything that creation science attributes to God, you know, anti-evolution. You know, Interesting. Because okay. if you have, I mean, I think there's some films on this too. Like what's the Ridley Scott film with the um, the more recent one? Oh man. I don't know. Where the woman's like running from this giant wheel that like oh, falls yeah, on yeah, top yeah, of yeah, her yeah. anyway. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know. Oh man, we should called. have these things. Anyway, that, that film is kind of predicated on this idea that like humanity has a monstrous origin in right, its right. in its seeding in the long past by an alien civilization who did it for this or that reason or whatever. Okay, I need to find out what this I, movie is. You know I'm looking at Ridley Scott right now you on know IMDb. What okay, while you do that, I've got a couple. <laughs> I've got an observation then a yes. question for you. I'm sort of realizing that I think I like magic better. Better than, than UFO stuff. Uh, well, no, I like UFOs, but I like it when when the origins are a little just more magical. Like, I don't really care about the scientific explanation. Like, even when you were giving the kind of, you know, like, and this is mean. how it could work, I'm like, mm, do I care about that? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I just like the the wonder of, like, this new life. But I have an aesthetic question for you. Yeah, go for it. It seems to me, um, in the men- in like, you and I have kind of um, binged alien culture, Recently. Yeah, this is now our second episode in this, this season second, about aliens. Yeah, we're double also, dipping here. So we don't we're care. Like, we've we've been kind of immersed in the culture of this alien hunting world. Right. There seems to be a common aesthetic um, amongst alien hunters. Yes. They're like usually men of European descent. <laughs> they have like some sort of notable hair quirk. Yes. And they might have like a a fun and interesting accent, or you know, right. explain. And and usually they stack them on top of each other. It's like this guy right. says this, this guy says right, this, and they right. have like these really dubious um, jobs. You know, like yes. like I publish such and such a alien magazine or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, how does this guy make money doing this? But um, explain that to me. Do you have any thoughts? The aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, okay. So hair that goes in weird directions mm-hmm. is always like connected, like mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. like the ancient art is with like ideas coming out of your head. Like think mm-hmm. about Einstein, for example. You always see Einstein with this wild shock of white hair, right? Yes, which yes. symbolizes right, like the fact that he's like 
crazy brilliant and so on. And yeah. so when you see the host of this Ancient Aliens show and his hair is going in these directions, yeah. the joke would be like, oh yeah, haha, he's crazy. But I think for the community, for the in community, it's the idea that he's thinking outside of your normal helmet hairstyle. Right. He's thinking outside of the mainstream. The search for truth- Oh, I like that. Okay, that, yeah, that's That has evaded. The search for truth that evades mainstream voices does not evade our heroes who publish <laughs> the Alien magazine. Right. Which leads me to- this issue, okay, this is like discussion 4.0 on okay, this for okay. us. Maybe 5.0, yep. maybe 10.0. Yep. But I just have to ask it again because I find it one of the most fascinating intellectual or, or I should say anti-intellectual phenomenon of our time. And I think as professional scholars, as professional academics, this question is particularly near and dear to our hearts. What can we say? But it's this whole issue of the distrust of mainstream voices. Like mainstream is used as the biggest insult in ancient aliens. Like, well, mainstream archaeologists look at the Hindu temple and tell you this, but we say, and so I guess I just, I'm continually baffled and just like intrigued about this idea. And maybe it's partly because too, and I say this with love in my heart, not, not with a lot of anger or bitterness, but like I come from an extended family, especially on my dad's side, that is really part of this group. Right. That just distrusts experts. Like just sure. just a just a great antipathy for expert knowledge for mainstream sources, you know the professional is like a derogatory term. Sure. Professors, I just think like why like where does this come from culturally or socially or even religiously in the American psyche? This like deep distrust of the mainstream and of the expert. I think the you know I mean you and I have had this conversation. We'll probably go around and around on this. It'll never die. Until we're done with this podcast. But um, I think that, so ordinarily I would just be like, oh, Americans have a long tradition of populism, which I think is embedded within that idea is like a rejection of, you know, professional expertise mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. There's a book called The Death of Expertise that mm. looks a little bit at that. But I'm going to offer something different this time just for fun. Yeah. And it's actually related to the aesthetics oh. uh, issue, which is, I think in some ways, it's like you could interpret it as a hipster thing. Mm. You know, like everyone goes to whatever mainstream, the Cheesecake Factory, yeah. but I go to right. name the obscure restaurant. Right. You know, and so maybe right. there's a little bit of that. Like it's sort of branding. You know, you're the, if you attach yourself to this aesthetic, like you're the type of person who's in the know, who, but I mean, on the other hand, I don't think anyone on the, at the History Channel, I doubt that many of the people who produce this believe this stuff. It's just fun. Right. And I think that, I think that any analysis that ties these kind of phenomena to consumer cultures, mm-hmm. I think just given the world in which we're embedded, like this isn't an anti-capitalist rant for me. I, I like right. capitalism for what it's worth. Oh, sure, like, sure. But it's like anything that you just, you see how pervasive a consumer culture is and how what a driving force that can be. What what explanatory power our consumer habits have exactly. for our religious choices, for our social choices. It's disturbing, but it's also just kind of like the way that we've done it now. It's the air we breathe. And there's an authority crisis. Hey, thanks for listening, weirdos. We love all our weirdos, near and far. For extras and extra nerdy Easter eggs on subjects covered in this episode, don't forget to click on the hyperlinks in each episode's description on our website, weirdreligion.com. And join our social media conversations about religion and pop culture on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Weird Religion. And we're YouTubing now, so find us on YouTube. YouTube us. (laughs) No. These episodes were produced at Stone Bear Studios, engineered by Luke DiLorenzo, and executive produced by Troy 
Wellstad. Our theme music is by Cassie Blum and our album artwork by John Williams. A special shout out to Portland Seminary for sponsoring the season and to trigger the studio dog. When you podcast, podcast with us. Bye. Bye.